0: Now.
1: Today's show is brought to you by our patrons over at patreon.com slash cast Special thanks goes out to Brian, Micah, Marjorie, Marty, Melissa, Patrick, Bemused Horseman, Christian, James, Kyle, Mastertoon, McCoy, MJ, and... Nebby, Ketzel, Rapid Kirby 3K, Tamara, the Inferno Birdie, the Cartoon Gamer, and Weffy. And all these patrons have been getting not only Creator's Commentary series, uh, these are Animaniacs commentaries featuring the creator of the show, Tom Ruger, but they've been also getting other perks such as Animaniacs decals and even signed Animaniacs trading cards signed by Tom Ruger. Mm. But. This April, we're also going to be giving them commentaries from today's guest, Peter Hastings. So, if you're interested in getting all those different perks and helping support our show, head on over to patreon.com slash today, and thank you for your support. And welcome everybody once again to another episode of the
0: AnimaniCast. You as well, go. Come on, brain. I write all your best material. Shakespeare wrote my best material. You write drivel unfit for a light bulb commercial.
1: And welcome, everybody, once again to the Cast. This, of course, is the podcast that's dedicated to the animated television series, Animaniacs, as well as other shows within the Rugerverse, such as Tiny Toon Adventures, Pinky and the Brain, and Freakazoid. Now, we usually discuss the cultural references and gags of each episode we watch, but today we have an interview with one of the original writers of the show. I am Joey, and joining me once again is my brother Nathan. Hi! Hi! And across the country in Georgia, there's Kelly. Hello. And joining us for the first time is a man whose name you might recognize from the title cards of Tiny Toon Adventures, Animaniacs, and Pinky in the Brain as a writer and producer. But he's also the man who has directed animatronic bears in Disney's The Country Bears, as well as being a writer and executive producer in Lilo and Stitch series, the 2012 Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles series, the Kung Fu Panda Legends of Awesomeness, and of course the epic tales of Captain Underpants. And he's also been a voice actor and he plays a mean bass. It's Mr. Peter Hastings. Hello, Peter. Hello. (laughs) Nice to finally have you on. Uh, Yes, you you might, if if you're lucky, one of these days you might be just as lucky as us to see Mr. Hastings performing live in Animaniacs in concert with Rob Paulson and Randy Rogan. Because we were, and it it was quite an experience.
2: It was super fun. We did it yes. twice. We did it twice, actually. We, the 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 time that you guys saw it in San Diego around Comic Con time, and and before that with an orchestra in La Mirada, mm-hmm. California, which was yeah. really crazy, awesome.
1: Well, we well, again, thank you so much for for coming on the show and everything like that. There, we've there's there's so many of our favorite episodes of Animaniacs, and uh, as we're revisiting Tiny Toon Adventures, and of course, Pinky the Brain, your name pops up. So often on uh, these episodes and we're like, ah, you know, we've had Paul on and uh, we've had, you know, Charles M. Howell and, uh, and John P. McCann. And of course, Tom Ruger on many times and 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 Sherry Stoner and Deanna Oliver. But you're the you're you're one of those missing links. So we're, <laughs> you're, we're like collectors. We got to catch them all. You're a Pokemon now.
2: <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> so uh, thanks for coming on. We have some questions here for you. And I think we'll get right into it. Um now let's let's start way back in the as far back as I could find on the internet anyway. Um you're an you're an alum from the groundlings. And I was wondering how improv comedy has helped you as a writer. Um and do you think maybe writers should get into improv comedy as well? Is that helpful
2: in the writing uh, process? Yeah, I found it. I think it's super helpful. I mean, you know, the Groundlings is kind of interesting because you go through that program, it's improv comedy and sketch comedy, and it's really where I started to write. So because I went to music school and I came to Los Angeles as a musician, but I ended up taking this improv class at the Groundlings and then went through their whole little school system and then ended up as a performing member of the company. So that's really where I started to write and doing writing character stuff and doing improv. You know, I think people also, you know, they'll say like, oh, you're, you're, you're like, you can do that because you're a groundling. But I think it's more like you have a personality that suits itself to being a groundling and to doing sketch comedy and doing improv. Improv is super valuable because uh, over time, because uh, for me, because I improvise the characters that I'm writing all the time. Mm. and it's really um you know and uh, so there's a to me there's kind of a process of like when you're writing for a character that you um it's like here i'm gonna i wrote some words and i want you to say them and then you kind of get to know the character and then you're like oh so and so would say this this is the way they would say that and then you really get it where you 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 understand the character so well you just kind of write down what you sort of hear them saying in a way and it's a lot of that is just improvising and doing it out loud and doing it in voices and do, I do it all the time and it has a uh, vitality to it also when you speak your lines out loud you just write more naturalistic kind of regular dialogue so the improv stuff is really really helpful let you go crazy let you go all over the place That was fun also with the groundlings is is where you know and i'm sure you guys have heard this but it was a lot of the um animaniacs writing staff Came out of this. So I was in the groundlings, Deanna was in the groundlings and Sherry Stoner was in the groundlings. So originally Sherry asked me to come in and, um, help develop a spinoff from Tiny Tunes, actually. Mm -hmm. And that I'll tell you about. But, um, you know, I knew Sherry from the groundlings. We performed together and then she was in some things that I had written. And so she's the one who brought me into Warner Brothers. And then that's where also we knew Deanna from. So Deanna was also, um, from the groundlings. And not people with um, you know animation writing experience, but yeah, more yeah. like funny people, you know, who, <laughs> who learned how to who learned how to write that stuff.
1: When it came to writing that stuff originally, I know Paul Paul Rugg has talked to us about how uh, he had to put in stage directions, and he was very very clear about you know camera up and then all this. Was that was that a difficult process for you
2: uh, at least initially getting into? that sort of writing or um i mean I, I think so because you you know it's a it's a it's like a grammar of camera language and it's like you need to learn things like if you're shooting something live action what you know when people do a master and then they do an over the shoulder and then they do a close-up and then they do another over the shoulder then they do another close-up and this is the shots you used to build um a scene and we don't really know that stuff so much so the camera angle stuff was much more about this is what's important for people to see. Um, we did a lot of that stuff. And um, I mean, in general, it's not really in favor for <laughs> with most directors and writers like that. It's kind of like, don't tell me what to do sort of thing. Um, and I know Paul, for example, likes doing that. And But it's really it speaks more to his understanding and or my understanding of like, uh, it's really a directing thing is what you're doing. (laughs) You're kind of directing on the the page, you know, and then he has that capacity, um, you know, to like, this is how I want to see it. This is the timing, you know, that kind of comes out. I mean, when I look back at like the first things that I wrote, I mean, I you know, I thought I knew what I was doing, but when you look back after you have a lot of experience, I go like, I didn't really know what I was doing. I just like, uh, you know, was kind of plodding my way and I didn't get fired. So that was, <laughs> I got to stay long enough to really kind of learn how to learn how to do it. Exactly. Oh, hey, that was fortunate. Well, um, we, we've been
1: going over actually, you know, in between Animaniacs. Uh, many Tiny Toon Adventure uh, episodes. A lot of them actually are ones that uh, you you wrote, like Konducky uh, comes to mind. Uh, Toon TV is, is one that you uh, co-wrote. Uh, I think we did the Afternoon Live, a lot of things like that. Do you have any uh, favorite episodes or just favorite memories of working on Tiny Toons?
2: Yeah. I mean, I kind of came into Tiny Toons late. So basically the way I came in was that Stephen was interested in doing a spin-off show based on uh, the character of Elmira Duff and mm. Duff is FUD backwards as in Elmer FUD. And mm. if you didn't know that, and um, it was a sort of a family, you know, animated sitcom based on the Duff family. And so, I, she just asked me to come in and help develop that. So we developed that. And then like two weeks later we went and they're like, okay, you're going to go pitch that to Spielberg. You know, so I had my first Spielberg meeting, uh, pitching there and it went well, obviously we didn't make the show, but, um, you know, then I was uh, just on tiny tunes right after that. I just, uh, they hired me right away and, I kind of, um, you know, fumbled my way through in writing. I think I'd just written like one or two scripts before that. Um, But, um, and I kind of came in on that tail end of Tiny Toons. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, there was some, the ones that I really liked um, was like Return of Bat Duck. I wrote, Mm -hmm. and uh, Konducky, and the the, um, the Oklahoma, Ducklahoma which you know ducklahoma was all about like how can we do anvils you know there's that that one is that you know it's got those songs like there's a i I don't remember the words but something like you know there's a dark glossy sheen on the anvil you know and it was uh, (laughs) all those sort of parodies of oklahoma songs and stuff like that
3: There's a nice flat black
0: scene on the anvil, there's a nice flat black scene on the anvil. It goes up from the ground to rise way above town, and it looks like it's falling, it's coming straight down. Oh, such a wonderful anvil! Oh, how it fills me with glee!
2: Um. Yeah, but those are fun. And that Return of Bat Duck was all based on, you know, this is what happens. It's like you're in a meeting with Steven and he starts telling the story about how um, um, I'm forgetting her name, the actress's name, but she she wanted to play Catwoman and she dressed up like Catwoman and showed up at Tim Burton's office and to basically ambush him for the part. Was Sean Sean Young? Is that her name? I, I, yeah, I, mean, I, know, <laughs> I
0: know,
1: I know, the, I know the actress's face. I don't. I, yeah. I, I just can't. And grasp and, her and Tim
2: Burton, um, Tim Burton climbed out the window of his office to, to <laughs> escape her, and it was so. it's like they're just telling that story, and then we like, oh, we should we should use that and do something about that. So it was about Plucky Duck storming t- and Tim Burton, the caricature. of Tim Burton's in there.
3: Plucky Duck here to see Tim Burton. Ah! Duck Don't do it Tim You've got everything to live for You're young You know Michelle Pfeiffer And the best reason of all You've got me to play Batman Didn't you see me as bat duck T-shirt still available Catwoman, you know it! Look at me! It's unavoidable. Roar! Roar! You know what to do with me!
0: You're right. I do. Oh, look at the pretty kitty! I'm gonna love you to pieces, you cute kitty witty head! I've got kitty food and kitty milk and kitty litter and kitty toys!
1: I remember seeing that as a kid, not really quite getting why this was going on, but still thinking it was funny. And I think that's one of the things that uh really was great about not just uh tiny tunes but of course animaniacs was the fact that you guys were just writing stuff that you knew was funny and you know kids would if they got it great but <laughs> it didn't really matter was, what was important was that it was funny for you guys and i think it's uh it's one of the reasons i think it actually is uh it stands out from other shows so
2: much yeah i mean I mean, I, I mean, I've been doing, you know, making cartoons and that's really for the kids space for like 30 years. I don't think I've ever really thought about kids. <laughs> when I, when I, I just like, you know, it's just like, don't make it inappropriate for kids. The way right. I think about kids is like, I want to expose kids to this style of humor. I want to expose kids to this idea. I want to expose them to this thing. In the same way that's like when I watched Bugs Bunny cartoons and you'd see, uh, Bugs do an impression of Jack Benny. It's like, I didn't know who Jack Benny was. And then, uh, you know and then he would show up and you go like oh that's what you know but here's the thing is if you don't know who Jack Benny is it's just an interesting character it's just mm-hmm. fun all the so many of the reference things are like that it's sort of like if you don't know who it is or what it's referring you, you get it uh, enjoyment from it on some other level
4: So you had started at Tiny Toons is that how you got into working with animaniacs then with uh Yeah so when, that we, and-
2: when we um, when we finished up um, Tiny Toons, uh, you know, I mean, I, I, I know you've, you know the story, but Stephen was sort of like, let's do another show, but let's do something that's all original, not based on, on uh, you know, like Looney Tunes. And um, so writer wise, uh, there were four of us in the building, um, plus Tom. So it was uh, Deanna Oliver, Sherry Stoner, myself and Nick Hollander. We were sort of the leftover Tiny Toons people. And we started to develop Animaniacs. And it, so at that time, it was really like, uh, you know, we were on staff at Warner Brothers. Like, they don't do this anymore. Now everything is, like, project-specific and you get an end date. But we mm-hmm. were just, like, on staff. And then, you know, that process was, like you know, we sort of developed this idea. We want to do this something that's sort of a variety show in some fashion, blah, blah, blah. And then all of us would just go to our offices and come up with character combinations and, you know, all the bits that are in Animaniacs and a ton of them that aren't in Animaniacs. Mm-hmm. And then we would bring all these things and give everything to Tom and make this big fat document. And we'd take it home and we'd all read it, you know? So Tom was really shaping all of the stuff that came in and, and, um, but we were really, it was very much a group effort in developing, um, you know, the series. And um, so, like, you know, Deanna's main thing was The Goodfellas. And Sherry was doing the Rita and Runt. And she was doing, um, I think Mindy and Buttons was also like Deanna. And uh, Pinking the Brain was my main thing. And then when, when John McCann and, and Paul Rugg came in, there was they were more on The Warners. Um you know, like everybody kind of had their specialty and Randy Rogel was writing songs and, you know, it was, um, it kind of shook out that way. So, but we all, we all just kind of worked on that. And then, you know, and the artists were doing designs and then the ghost pitched that to Steven and he's like, I like this and I don't like that. And, you know, all that kind of, all that was going on.
4: (laughs) Were there any uh, ideas that you had that didn't make it that you were,
2: sad to a laugh. lot <laughs> i don't know <laughs> i don't know it's a, we, uh, there's yeah. one i yeah i of remember hearing tom mention this one uh bossy beaver that we were going to do which was kind of based on a crew member uh who was <laughs> it's time nice. because it was like it's time to work for the buck tooth jerk the one with the big ego yeah better get it right or there'll be be a fight it has to be just so He'll yell all day till his, some the hair turns gray till the something's and it's the Bossy Bieber Show. Okay, but
4: uh,
2: <laughs> and we had a Bossy Bieber and we had a a, um, a soap opera thing with amoebas. Um, I don't remember what that was called. And just kind of come up with weird stuff. You know, like Deanna would come in and say like, "Oh, I saw this like lizard outside my house," and then she just comes up with a thing called gecko and Chuck Wall and. Uh, Yes, we've we've
1: heard of some of these these uh, baby
2: Mays uh <laughs> oh my yeah. gosh oh well, that's a new one baby time there, there a time wow time because and we I'm didn't cool. edit it <laughs> you know we just kept you know and then when we started making them some of them just really popped in a good way and you know some of them were fine you know <laughs> I mean you don't hear a lot of people saying like oh my god I love the hip hippos you know the, <laughs> it's, it's like, <laughs>
1: There, yeah. there's certain yuppie crowd people. I think I really just, uh, identified <laughs> with them. But other or, than that, I think most
4: people,
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah,
4: yeah. They're kind of the forgotten. <laughs>
2: there's a there's few bits like that. You forget, yeah. you forget there's so many actually. <laughs> um, but that process was really fun. And then, um, so I was in there, you know, I was writing some some of the Warner Brothers stuff. And then that was really, um, you know, for me, it was the Marx Brothers absolutely was the core thing. And then, but it was really about getting Yakko's voice into the Groucho kind of thing, which is just this rapid fire comeback, twisting people's words, doing all this, you know, double entendres, doing doing all that kind of stuff, where it kind of like we would like walk to lunch and like talk like that. <music>
3: Gentlemen, please be seated. Ah ah ah! I didn't say Simon says. Simon says, please be seated. So, what's the plan?
0: The situation is grave. Our army hasn't been to war in two hundred years.
3: They should be very well rested, then. First, we must prepare the troops. No, first
0: we must get new weapons. Uh-uh.
3: You're both wrong. First, we must have a new national anthem. Hit it. The anvil shine in my old Anvilian home. Thank you. Please be seated. Uh, very good. Simon says, please be seated.
2: And then you know, but the thing also, so most of my, you know, my standout stuff really was doing Pinky in the Brain, and then you know when it, when it became its own show, that I ran that show and. Um, you know, that, you know, my my version, because everybody has little different memories, but I have this very <laughs> specific memory of going into Tom's office. And I am I know you guys know the story that it's based on the uh, Eddie Fitzgerald and Tom Minton, who worked at the studio. And I was in Tom's office. We we're, like, waiting for everybody to come in for a meeting. And he totally casually said, like, can you imagine, like, Minton and Eddie trying to take over the world? But not as, like, hey, I'm pitching you an idea for the show. <laughs> it was, like just talking about your co-workers and I was like oh my god that's that's amazing that would be amazing and then then we started to develop that you know into Pinky. and they started out as two humans you know and then became uh, mice lab mice obviously
0: once we construct the superconductive magnetic infundibulator the world will be ours pinky it is often said when a golfer tees off
4: <laughs> alvy what is for alex
0: what is NARF? Uh, what is point? What is inordinately short attention span, Alex? The plans, Pinky, for the superconductive magnetic infundibulator. Shall I explain how it works?
3: NARF, no. challenge me!
0: I'm sure I will.
2: So, yeah, all of that stuff was really fun, and I was just kind of... I was really also learning a lot. I was pretty kind of a newbie, you know, in that business. At that time.
1: Um, what are what are some of the things you? Of course, you you're considered one of the best writers of Pinky and the Brain. I mean, you even say as much. And uh, yes, always you you tell the brain that <laughs> right. you write some of the best material.
2: Uh, <laughs> to which do you know his reply? Yes, uh, uh, Shakespeare. No, he says you write drivel. You suitable w- for a light bulb commercial. So is, <laughs> yeah. Well, what are what are some of the things you loved about writing Pinky in the Brain? Um, well, Pinky in the Brain probably for me is like the closest to my own personal sensibility of almost anything I've worked on. And, and it's just kind of – it's what I call like intelligently silly. And, you know, coming out of a sort of a uh, a Monty Python adolescence where, you know, because that's really what Monty Python is. It's like intelligently silly. There's an interesting type of comedic styles that is in the show, which is with Pinky and the Brain, it's they are serious people in a silly situation. Mm. Yeah, I know Pinky is silly, but they're very serious about what they're doing. And the situations are ridiculous. Right. And that's a particular style of comedy. And then Yakka, and Dot are more of the, um, you know, sort of um, Martin Lewis version or Jerry Lewis of like silly people in serious situations, like the Three Stooges or the Marx Brothers, right? We're going to mm-hmm. come in and mess up your world, and we're silly people. Thinking the brain was like, we're very serious about what we're doing, but the situation is preposterous, you know? <laughs> so it's... Uh, um I mean I love that style of humor it's really fun I think it goes de- a little it goes a little deeper and then also you get to do cool stuff like you get to parody things like the um the Pinky the Brain cartoon um uh Dos Mouse where they steal a submarine from the Woods Hole Oceanographic Institute to go find the Titanic and it's like I get to do a subway chase like crim- red, cr- Crimson Red what, Crimson what's the name of that movie Crimson Tide you get to do all that, all the stuff from that thing. Uh, you get to make fun of it, but you also get to do it. You know, <laughs> you get to do all that sort of stuff. So that was like, I, I love that about Pinky in the Brain.
1: This is Captain Jack McGuire. Identify yourself. I repeat, identify yourselves or be destroyed.
0: This is Jacques Cousteau. Really? Can you prove that? Here, the ocean is teeming with life. But everywhere, there are signs of man's encroachment. Darn! It is Jacques Cousteau! The mission is to terminate! But Jacques Cousteau! He's a friend of the Earth! Nice Cousteau, Brain! Quiet, Pinky. <laughs> ha! Nice try, Captain Brain, is it? But that little ruse will cost you. I must admit, I admire your skills. Perhaps in another time we could have been friends. We are very much alike, you and I. I doubt that. I am a lab mouse involved in an elaborate scheme to take over the world.
4: Ha! <laughs> ha! No need to be bitter.
0: You played well. Au revoir, Jacques. We'll see you in Davy Jones' locker.
3: Didn't he sing lead for the monkeys?
0: Quiet, Pinky, or I shall have to...
2: And then, you know, the other interesting thing that happened was the very first um, cartoon um, that I wrote was the Win Big, which was the very first Pinky and the Brain cartoon. And pretty much all the conventions of Pinky and the Brain are in that cartoon. Mm -hmm. What do you want to do tomorrow night? Are you pondering what I'm pondering? Um, There's other ones, you know, where Pinky says, like where Brain proposes something and Pinky goes like, brilliant, oh, oh, wait, no, no. Well, if they uh, take off the pants, right? Whatever it is, right? <laughs> all these things that appear in almost all the Pinky and the Brain cartoons were in that one. And without the intention of making them into catchphrases or something like that, it was just like, uh, you know, it was one of those things, I think I wrote the next one, and then maybe Sherry was like, oh, and then that thing that you close with, you got to put that in, was like... Oh, the thing! What are we doing tomorrow night? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know.
4: oh, it's such a good idea. Yeah,
2: yeah. And it it was like such a lesson too that that you have this premise of two mice who try to take over the world and fail. How can you do cartoon after you know story after story after story after story? And it's really because it's not about taking over the world. It's always about. Um, you know, come, you know, like, like Sherry's Boba Boba Brain or talking about uh, that when Brain runs for president, meet John Brain, which was sort of inspired by Ross Perot. And there's, um, uh, you know, that's what those shows end up being about. They're not about taking over the world specifically. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
3: So you've not only written some fantastic episodes of Animaniacs, but you've also written fantastic songs like the etiquette song in Taming of the Scree, songs in King Yako, songs in Bologna and Kids. What was the songwriting process like?
2: Um, You know, I mean, everybody really wrote songs. Uh, You know, we all just kind of got into it. And then so some of them tended to be like, oh, I'm just doing funny lyrics to an existing song. Mm -hmm. Like, like, for example, John McCann wrote the – Panama Canal song and the UN song and the, and those were all taking sort of existing uh, things like that. Um, I think it's just about being uh, kind of a hammy person and just getting into it and start singing a song and pretending and making it up and sort of acting it out. And then you have this sort of advantage that it's supposed to be funny and it's supposed to be broad. So you don't have to be some incredible, meticulous, uh, amazing person. And then, Typically, we'd kind of have a melody in the lyrics, maybe not always a melody. And then, um, you know, Richard Stone and Stephen Julie Bernstein would do such a great job of, of either writing a melody if it didn't have a melody or, or you know, orchestrating and harmonizing it. Um, so that was all just really fun. That's just kind of like, like, oh, this is what those musicals sound like, kind of imitating it. It's almost you know a lot of it actually because it really comes out of kind of satire and parody a lot of a lot of the songs you know so they are you kind of just do that.
1: How would you rate your experience as the producer and writer in the Pinky the Brain spinoff? I know that of course many people note uh, your the last episode that you wrote in that series. Uh, uh, you'll never what is it? You never, never eat-, eat lunch in this eat food pellets oh, yeah. <laughs> in this town again, I think, uh, is kind of a, uh, many people equate it to you being upset <laughs> with the, the, the executives at uh, Kids WB, Warner Brothers, etc.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I'm probably all, I, I would say it's, it's interesting because a lot of Pinky and the Brain students, uh, stories were definitely influenced by ideas and things that came around in my life. Um, for example, like, you know that time that Ross Perot ran for president, and then I was like, "Oh, we should just parody that situation." That Brain runs for par- president, and every and people only see him on TV, so they don't know he's a mouse. But um, what, what did you? What was the thing you asked me about? The... It was.
1: It was just basically how would you? How would you rate your? Uh, oh, experience?
2: Right. <laughs> um. Well, it was exciting, you know, because they were like, "We want to put this on primetime and do a primetime show," and they moved us to a different, you know. So I was really. Um, just, we weren't at the regular Warner brothers place. We were over at this, this, it was actually a converted motel that Warner brothers owned that was full of writers. And we had a staff, like a, you know, like more of a sitcomy kind of, um, situation. Um, and, uh, you know, we're sort of, um, aiming high. I think at that time it was kind of like, I guess I had felt a little, um, exhausted i guess from just because i've been six years at warner brothers and writing all those kind of all that kind of stuff i didn't intentionally dig you know i don't know it's just parody whatever i you know it wasn't (laughs) i hate you you guys that came later but uh, (laughs) um yeah i mean it's just sort of making fun of some of that stuff and you know the wb was a little weak and um uh, you know, that was frustrating when, like, much earlier than that, when Animaniacs came out, certainly Tiny Tunes was on Fox Kids and it had a very wide distribution. And when the WB started up, it had a very small distribution, and our audience just shrunk like crazy, which was kind of a drag. Yeah,
1: it was very hard to watch. I remember, I think, for the first year that the WB was on, it was very hard to get in our town of Tucson. I think we eventually were able to get it by watching the WGN we're uh, to
2: drive I mean, to the top of Mount Kuru <laughs> and r- put our own
1: antenna up. Exactly. Well, Crazy. I mean, at the time, it was. I mean, if you're if your syndicated channels, if like you, there's like what we have, ABC, NBC, CBS, Fox, and then you have one or two, you know, syndicated yeah. things, right? Or UHF stations. Right. And if the UHF station didn't want to be a kids WB station, well, you're kind of
2: out of luck.
1: <laughs> so. Yeah.
2: Um but it was it was good. we had some good um you know some good uh writers on that and brought in some 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 new people to write on that show and you know did some fun um things and then i mean after that was then i was when I left and I went to uh disney after that um and you know there were still more episodes to go yeah. So. You know, kind of carried on, and then also they didn't. They stopped doing it. Uh, we just did one season, prime time, mm-hmm. which was weird. It was like at seven PM against sixty Minutes or something like that. Was, <laughs> I don't know who's yeah. going to watch this. On
1: <laughs> uh, when you were when you went off to Disney with like uh, one Saturday morning, which is one of the things that I know that we loved watching. You know, the shows on that. Uh, of course, there was Manny the Uncanny with Paul Rugg. And is it true that you were you were out there filming with Paul Rugg these weird many of the the
2: uncanny segments? I didn't I filmed uh, you know, a lot of stuff in the beginning and then when he really like hit the road when we sent him out on the road and stuff like that, I wasn't I wasn't filming those, so I was still doing that. But what was really fun on that show, um, and we had you know, and Paul was involved and we always have fun working together, was the uh, you know, we come up with a bit and we go like, oh, let's do a bit that sort of spoofs Steve Irwin, you know, the the naturalist guy um, that and Paul was playing the thing. And we take a camera and we take some equipment and go over to like Griffith Park and shoot a bit. And then we go like, this is the bit we want to do. And we go like, OK. And we go do a bunch of them and they would be on TV in like two weeks, you know, they, like they would start showing. So we did a lot of that stuff, which was really, really fun uh, to do. But uh Paul and I us had have a lot of fun um working together. Yeah. One of the things we would always do, you know, when we were at Warner Brothers, is we would all wander around into each other's offices and sit around and just, you know, yammer for a long period of time. But also we would do this thing where you like I go see Paul and I go like I'm just having this problem because, you know, they they get to the top of the mountain and I need them to end up in the whatever. And it's like, I'm not sure how they get down there or something like that. And then, you know, we'll talk about it. I'll talk about it. And then he'll go like, oh, what if they do this thing? And you go like, oh, my God, that's it. That's amazing. It's brilliant. It's great. And then you go and you go back to your office and write something totally different. (laughs) It's like, you know, but it was an interesting part of the creative process that it's like, oh, but you stirred my brain and you got me. You got me going. We also used to do the thing that we call the victory rock, which is like you have a problem in a script and you can't figure it out. And then all of a sudden you go like, oh, wait a minute. What if he shows up later and then blah, blah, blah. Yes, that's it. And you wouldn't sit down and write it. You would stand up and leave your office and go walk around. (laughs) and then you end up in somebody else's office and it's like you were just doing your victory walk that you would solve that
1: is is, is your writing process similar to to paul's in a sense he's talked before about how he takes like lots of breaks and you know writing he's never been a fan of like writer's rooms and and uh and the writing process itself he he you know you write for a little bit and then you go and you you do the lawn. <laughs> you know. Well, Paul is like
2: you know he's such he's so you know he's so funny. I mean, really, Paul's Paul's essence is a performer. It's mm. like that's where he is ha- the happiest. It's just like being a performer, and writing. He's he's so good at it, and he's so funny, and he hates it. It's just like torture <laughs> for him, and he takes forever. <laughs> and it's just like, he's so, and he won't get onto to page two until he's like ecstatic about page one. And it's just like, uh, you know, he just, and I've, I've had him writing on, on other shows and stuff like that. It's always the same thing, you know, and then it's always really good. So <laughs> I'm similar, not as bad as he is, but we, uh, we both do that thing. It's a, uh, you know, it's like a dog circling the bed, except for like three months, you know. <laughs> Mm-hmm. The dog circles the bed and then finally sits down, and lies down. <laughs> Does that. We probably did, you know, he and I wrote a couple of movies together and we we um we probably did better when we were together because you just had this other person was like, I'm expecting pages at 10 AM. So <laughs> um that helped. We became um, deadlines for each other.
1: And just real quickly, we one of the things that um Tom had Tom Ruger had shared with us at one point was uh, some auditions. Uh, for the characters of Animaniacs, and one of them that came up was Audition for Runt, and it was actually your voice auditioning for Runt for this. And I don't know if you were actually auditioning for the the part, or if it was just kind of like a filling in at the moment.
2: I was probably uh, filling in because I don't. I, I've done a lot of voices. I don't. I don't. Besides playing myself in that Pinky in the Brain thing, I don't think I did any regular stuff. I mean, the, you know, we had. This, uh, we just come off of Tiny Toons. Tiny Toons had a big cast and, and all these super veteran uh, voiceover actors, mm-hmm. and um, and uh, you know, that was definitely the pool we went to for sure. Um, and I may have done Run, I actually like uh, to do um, that was Frank Welker ended up doing Run, and who also did Ralph Zagard. And which is also one of my go-to, uh, hi, you know, just like talking <laughs> like that. On its Kung Fu Panda series, I played a character called Guy who says "blah," and it was basically based on Ralph the guard. like "blah,"
0: how you doing,
2: <laughs> right? So,
0: "blah," see you later, "blah." That,
2: that was Guy who says "blah." Oh,
1: uh, of course, you do the uh, the uh, the the narrator uh, on the. uh, Captain, Captain Underpants. Art. Yeah, well, not the. There's yeah. two narrators in Captain Underpants, right? We have Sean Aston, I believe, is one right. of them. Sean, yeah. And then you're, you're the one that goes when it's all the the comic strips are are
2: coming. Yeah, out. those those comic fun? bits. I love those things. They're so good, and their drawings are so fantastic. And it was really it was really really fun to do that. But those things would be like it was like a page of dialogue, and I would do like one full pass and be completely out of breath and die from doing that. But <laughs> <laughs> it's very really fun.
1: What, do you have advice? What what I know there's a lot of aspiring voice actors that that uh, listen to you know podcasts like this. Do you have any advice for any folks who might be interested in voice acting?
2: Um, well, I think that you know the thing that people don't consider so much is that it is acting, and uh, taking an acting class is a good idea. Um, and being in tune with the idea, and it's like how do you read a script? How do you do the? How do you find the emotion or whatever it is um, you know in a thing? And I know this is a thing too. And like Rob Paulson and Maurice are really big on this, you know, and just saying, do some, do acting because it is, it is acting. Also D Bradley Baker has a website. That's like something called something like, I think, I think I want to, so you think you want to voice act or something like <laughs> that. I can't remember what it's called. Um, but he has a lot of, a lot of uh, resources and responses about what it, what it, what it's like the thing about it though the you know the honest part of it is not that many people are doing most of the work and um so to get into it it's it's pretty difficult and you kind of need to be exceptional or have an exceptional voice um or have a friend who's making a show but um you know that's 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 kind of what's happening but if you love it and you can do it you know easily the biggest you know very few people really break into like f- lots of work. It happens very rarely. I mean like when we were doing Animaniacs, Pinky the Brain, Jeff Bennett did tons of stuff. He was like a new guy and he came in gangbusters. You could do impressions. You can do all these voices and all that kind of stuff. And then in the last few years, that's really been like Eric Bauza has been. This guy who's just mm. exploded doing anything. He's insanely talented. And the other thing that's kind of beautiful about it is Eric Bowser has pictures of himself as a little kid with Marvin the Martian t-shirts and stuff like that. And now he's doing the voice for Marvin Martian, you know, and, and yeah,
1: I was just seeing the other day he posted online, like a picture of him and like, Woody Woodpecker and Bugs Bunny and stuff like that as a kid. So it's, it's really nice to see that someone who was such a fan of the cartoons gets to now yeah, have that dream but job. He has,
2: he has an exceptional voice. It's really like, yeah, you kind of have to think of it like being a singer because mm. it's kind of what you're doing, you know? And so everybody, everybody can most likely sing something, you know, but of course, obviously people's vocal abilities as singers is very different. And, um, so, you know, that happens with voiceover people, too. They just have a a voice that prints really well, as we used to say, um, or they have a versatility or they're super funny or they do impressions, um, you know, or something like that. But if you're interested in being a voice actor, do not forget that it is acting and you should learn how to act. And that's the best skill to bring into it.
3: So you mentioned earlier Steven Spielberg. And I'm a big fan of his. So do you have any other stories about Steven or what, what was he like when you met him?
2: Um, Steven is great to work with. He's just super fun. He's a very nice guy. People go like, what's he like? And I go like, he's a, he's a, he's a happy Walter Matthau. That's what he's like. (laughs) But he, um, you know, he, when you have a meeting with Steven and you like you, for example, when we were pitching that, the very first time I met him, we, we were pitching this Duff show and we are like, and the dad has a, has a sort of a lab, a workshop in the garage where he builds things. And you just say that. And then Stephen goes off and riffs on that. And he goes like, Oh, and he gets, uh, the kid slides, uh, plans in and his dad makes them absentmindedly. And he's got like a, a colander on his hat with flashlights and it'll look really <laughs> cool with the fog, you know, and, and, uh, you know, and he'll, he'll just pile, he'll just give you all this. He just starts riffing on it. And he gives you all this stuff, and you go like, "Wow, that's so cool!" And then you walk out of the room, and you go like, "Geez, can we actually use any of that?" Um, you know, <laughs> it's sort of like there's so much of it, and and um, you know, he he really loves it, and you don't, you, you never get the feeling from him like this is a business for me. He loves cartoons, you know, and I, as far as I know, he's also involved in the new in the new uh, Animaniacs. And mm-hmm. I mean, I know he's attached to it and all that stuff, but you know, he would he would. Um, he, he was, I mean, this guy, he's like, he's in Poland. He's shooting Schindler's List, this grittiest stuff, darkest stuff. He's shooting all day long. He's coming back to the house that they rented. He's getting pre-internet. He's getting Jurassic Park score satellite, satellited to his house so he can preview the score. And then he's watching tapes of our cartoons and faxing notes. You know, I mean, he was he was really into it. He loved it. And and then, you know, apparently it was also really good for him after these grueling shooting days to be able to, like, watch some cartoons kind of at the end of the day. And he had ideas for stuff. And he would, um, for example, the snowball um, cartoon, which one of my faves, where being in the brain are going to take over Microsoft or micro sponge, as it's called. Came out of Steven sending, hey, I was talking to Bill Gates and he's really into pandas in China and, uh, you know, something we should do something, you know, with Bill Gates. And I mean, all we did was we, you know, we just, that was all we kept. We didn't do pandas in China. You know? <laughs> there is a gag in that thing, though, where they're they're video conferencing and then everybody who's on the video conference is sitting at the same table with a computer in front of them. Which is probably what we're going to be doing, exactly. the rest of our lives. Yeah, exactly. the metaverse, right? That's yeah. Uh, yeah. I think that's. <laughs> and then um, you know, um, so I, I always had a great time working with Stephen, and I was never, I never found it, um, you know, intimidating or anything. He was always very generous with his time, and because he was into it, he mm-hmm. was, you know, he really did it. And then I was going to go. Uh, there was a time I was going to go work at. DreamWorks when DreamWorks had just started. Um and I was sort of in talks with DreamWorks and with uh Disney, you know, and he was like, call me on the phone. Wow. He's calling me on the phone, he goes, I go, How's it going? He goes, Oh, I'm in the Hamptons. And I go, What are you doing? He goes, just looking out the window at my kids out on the baseball field. Because they have a baseball field at their house. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> um Always totally, uh, totally positive experience working with Stephen. It's Gen- just a generous guy. Hmm. Nathan, I highly you recommend get it. Him? Kelly,
3: I, you know, you if I get him on the show. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I wish.
4: Um, <laughs> uh, I have a, a listener question here from Malik, um, and he asks, "What are some jokes or sequences that you're most proud of?" Uh, from the sex like Pinky in the Brain. And he asks if there's anything you see in a, the final product that makes you go, wow, I can't believe that made it in. <laughs> and then he also wanted to know how much of your personal experience seeped into aspects of the show. So it's like a three-part separate questions. Any part of that that you want to answer? I don't know.
2: (laughs) I think he's answered Um, some of that. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there are are a lot of pinky in the brain moments that are really my favorite. I mean, the the end of the Christmas special, obvious one, um, just because that's probably the most successful emotional uh, moment that I've probably ever written in my entire career. (laughs) Um, and, and it's kind of an interesting story how that came out. And, um, um, I don't know, you know, there's a lot. I can tell you an actual moment that I remember, which was we wrote the Win Big cartoon and then sometimes when the cartoons would come back from overseas, we would do a little crew screening and say, like, well, here's the thing. And so we were had all these crew members in and they saw the very first thinking in the Brain, the Win Big, the one where he goes on Jeopardy. And and there was some dude next to me, didn't know I wrote it, didn't know I was involved with it. And I just heard him like laughing during the whole thing, and then he said, "Like, man, I want to work on that." And I was, like, <laughs> I was like, "Oh my god, somebody actually <laughs> wants to work on something I made." Um, uh, you know, there's so many. I mean, a lot of those ones. Uh, King Yakko is another one that's really fun that I really enjoy, and and uh, I really like the Bat Duck from Tiny Tunes. Mm-hmm. Has some great uh, moments in it that I love. In terms of stuff that we got away with, I mean. Um, I don't know. We didn't really think of it so much that way. It's it and we got away with a lot of stuff that just legally we wouldn't be able to get away with. But Gina Curdy ran the studio was totally protective of us. Warner Brothers Legal every now and then was like, uh, did you guys write a cartoon spoofing the three tenors? Do you know that that's like one of our biggest selling recording <laughs> artists uh that we have? And maybe that's not so cool. But we never we never, you know, got really hammered for that stuff. Um, we did that Noah's R cartoon with the, where we're kind of yeah. spoofing Richard um, – uh, Richard, the, the comedian Richard, Richard, Richard. Richard, Richard.
1: – uh, oh, god. Now I know the Noah one, he's, right? He's this, on yeah, – yeah, the
2: Noah one. Yeah, he's on, um, uh, Richard, he's on Kirby Enthusiasm. No, Richard. Richard <laughs> Lewis. <laughs> Richard Lewis. Yeah, there we go. I was like, Richard. Um, He was moving Richard Lewis. And, you know, and then his people got back and say like, um, you know, you're actually like ripping off his routine is what you're doing, (laughs) like doing an impression of him. But, you know, we never got in trouble. And then, of course, the one that people always bring up is the fingerprints from the Hercule Yakko one um, um, that I wrote. And um,
1: Now, that's been said before that, you know, that was – Written in there that uh you know fingerprints, and then Tress came up with the line of, "of I don't think so." Was that since you wrote that episode? Do you remember putting in that I don't think so into the actual script, or was how did that because that is so it's so infamous that
2: I'm it's overplayed and everything to the point of yeah, nauseam. Yeah. But um, um, I mean, if you asked me without the trust thing, I would assume that I wrote it, but mm. it's it's possible, you know. Yeah. I don't know. Actors get a lot of credit for making stuff up that they didn't make up. But, <laughs> you know, the actors get more mileage out of the show than anybody. That is, you know?
1: This is true.
2: <laughs> you don't see me and Tom, like, signing autographs on Instagram. But, uh, you know, because we don't have that kind of attraction. You know, we're not the actors. That's just show business. It's totally fine. Um, but you might see Rob and Maurice, my dear friends, doing that. Yes. Because they can
0: yeah.
1: <laughs> well, they can get you in on that next time. My gosh. Okay. Well, anyway.
2: <laughs> I know. Anytime, we were, anytime I did a panel at Comic-Con and it's like all the actors are there and then like me and another writer or something like that. And you just like, nobody cares about our signatures. Aww. But um, okay, wait. So so there was like, what do I remember? What what did I get away with? And then there was a third part oh, from my life. Um, I think a lot of Pinky and the Brain stories were things that just occurred to me that I noticed. And one of them, one of them that I really liked was when, so when we were working at Warner brothers is when Spielberg started making the movie Casper and he hired Sherry and Diane Oliver to, uh, to write it. And, um, and I was just thinking about this, this progression that happens all the time, which is like something comes out, it's very popular and it's current and then it becomes dated and then it gets a nostalgic value right so it happens with fashion it happens with music it happens with tv it happens with all kinds of stuff and and then also you have this thing of like spielberg and george lucas george lucas loved um you know those old sci-fi movies with buster crab the i'm forgetting names all the time here but um buck rogers and mm-hmm. You know, and it's like, Oh, I want to make something that had that feeling that I felt when I watched Buck Rogers. And then you end up with Star Wars and the same thing about like, Oh, remember those adventure movies where they went and found diamonds in Africa? And that's like, that's where Indiana Jones comes out of. So it's the same thing of these guys who are in a, you know, in a creative peak and wanting to kind of glorify something from their childhood and create something. That way, you know, in that same way. So there's the Pinky and the Brain cartoon where they're in their, it's the 50s and they decide to make themselves really popular on a sort of a Kukla, Fran and Ollie puppet show.
1: Yes. Puppet and, rulers, I believe.
2: Puppet rulers. And yes. but Brain's whole plan is based on this idea, which is we'll be really popular. We'll freeze ourselves in a glass butter dish for X amount of <laughs> years. And when we come back, all these people will be in power and they'll glorify us. So it was really that that whole idea. So a lot of times, it, you know, and then of course, what happens is that they come back, and all those people are traumatized because they went off the air, and they chase them with their therapy mm-hmm. bills. But so which it's is, which like is very much cut. like
1: like fans today, by the way, too, with George
4: Lucas ruined my childhood. And yeah, exactly. Like I was
1: like, it's, right. it's, it's kind, kind of
4: fortuitous. Words. Yeah, even that, yeah.
1: even yeah. that in itself was very predictive. Of it's, it they that.
4: wanted it to come back until it does come back, and then they hate it. So <laughs> it's
0: like,
2: I know, I know. <laughs> And that's a that's a really challenging thing to do because if you, you if you repeat it like the first Star Wars movie that Disney made was basically like a repeat of Episode Four it was like almost the same movie you know and it's like yeah it's really popular but it's kind of you kind of go like mm, wasn't <laughs> amazingly fresh you know mm-hmm. but um um you know that 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 whole cycle too of things going away and coming back the, it also happens to me is that the people who watched animaniacs and pinky and brains at little kids are now like 35 and they're 40 and they're and so now they i hear more about those shows now than i did you know 15 years ago or, or 20 years ago right because and then the, and those people are in positions of of power in you know in studios and things like that you know and they're familiar with those things. That's why there's a lot, a lot of times like you know there'll be a remake uh, of some old show, and it's because the executive who's in charge loved that show when they were a kid.
1: Yeah. Did they and happen to to actually reach out to you by the way when they were getting all those reboot plans together for this for the new sh- Animaniac show?
2: No, no, I didn't. Uh, they, I mean, they did because they wanted me to come write Pinky and the Brain. And, and cause they were, I went over and I talked to them and I said like, you know, this is a tricky show because it really was based on the personalities of all of us that were developing it. Right. And it was like, everything was kind of unique. And it's sort of like doing, you know, Mr. Skullhead was Sherry's thing. It was like a thing she'd been drawing forever, you know, and that everybody had their own personal connection, which, which is where the, the things that really succeeded, you know, that's why, you know, and. It sounded like originally that's what they were going to try to do and add a lot of – you know, obviously they got rid of tons of I, – I, is it only Pinky the Brain and Animaniacs? Basically, yeah.
4: Yeah. Yeah, essentially.
2: <laughs> yeah, so they were – I think they were going to sort of develop more stuff and use – Different kinds of animation, stuff like that, and blah blah blah.
1: They 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 have a little bit, but yes, there's for ninety percent of everything on that show is is just Warners and Pinky and the Brain with yeah. some new characters that, uh, at least in my experience, not many people care about <laughs> as much as the original side characters.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think I think for me, part of it coming into that was just like I don't really know of a reboot that has the kind of energy that that the original did. I don't with. I don't know. I'm sure there's some exceptions, but in general, um, it doesn't really pop. Yeah. It's sort of like, oh, you grew up with Sherman and Peabody, but it turns out kids today aren't interested in Sherman and Peabody. (laughs) um,
1: Well, you um, – you. you, you referred to it a little bit, and we actually have a question from uh, one of our patrons here, MJ. Uh, she actually is one of the hosts of uh, the Pointcast, actually, which is the Pinky and the Brain podcast. Uh-huh. And uh, yeah, but she wants to know um, – she says, hello, Peter. Firstly, I want to just express how much I enjoyed your writing on Pinky and the Brain and Animaniacs. And uh, she had a couple questions, one of which I think we've kind of gone through. But she does ask, what was the inspiration for the famous brain-reading Pinky's letter to Santa and then scenes. Oh seems... my gosh. That
2: was like a that was like a big life event for me that that whole thing for a couple of reasons. So what happened was the you know I think Gene came or or Tom came and said like we want to do a Pinky and the Brain Christmas special. So I was the Pinky and the Brain guy so it's like okay figure out what it is. And I just really sweated it out and I had two main stories to do. And um One was in a classic Tiny Toons slash Animaniacs approach, turn it on its head, do a meta version. And it's that Brain realizes the emotional power of Christmas specials. And so he's going to make a Christmas special. (laughs) Okay. Like very, very, you know, in the pocket with Tiny Toons and Animaniacs. And he was going to do a Christmas special called The Littlest Snowflake. And that was going to be a total tearjerker and then everyone would be a sucker and he'd be able to, you know, manipulate their brains. <laughs> okay. And then, you know, I had a whole story worked out for that. And then I had this other one, which is about creating these hypnotic dolls and going to the North Pole and getting Santa Claus to make them. And because Santa Claus has this incredible distribution system uh, on Christmas Eve. And, um, you know, and then I talked to Tom about them and then he's like, I think we want to do a Santa story. So then, but I hadn't quite figured it out. And I sat at my dining room table with a notebook and just kept writing like freehand. What could it be? What could it be? Something. And then something, something. And then I got to that, I got to the letter and it's like, you know, it was the beginning of it was, Oh, pinky has a letter and he wants to deliver to Santa in person. That's it. Blah, blah, blah. And then just light bulb moment. It's like, Oh my God, this letter is all about the brain. That's what it's about. and, and it was like, uh, you know, I was like, I didn't even think about it. It just came and landed. I it's still, it's funny because I just have, I still have that notebook and I found the page where it's like, oh, there it is right there. When I go like, wait, Pinky writes the letter all about the brain. Wow. And then, and then that thing really, then it really opened up. And, um, so when we got around to, um, doing it, and, and I gave the script to, uh, Barry Caldwell, who is one of the storyboard artists who worked on it. He was a really brilliant guy. And it was funny because when I started on Tiny Tunes, Barry gave me such a hard time about like, you don't know what you're doing. You don't know what you're talking about. Why do I have to do what you do? You know, and in retrospect, I mean, he's totally right. It was like, you know, I was acting like I was a director and I'd like worked in animation for four seconds. And he was like, who the hell are you? Right. But his <laughs> office was right next to mine. And then he gets, I, he got the script for the Christmas special and he, and he knocks on my door and he opens the door and he just stands there and he goes, brain cried. He made brain cry. Because I love this so much. I love this, right? <laughs> he boarded the whole second half of it, and then he really got into it. So he was the one who goes, like, what if when Brain realizes what's going on that he smashes all the equipment? And I'm like, oh, that is awesome. That was Barry's idea, you know? And then that moment is just like, I don't know. It's just so great. I love it.
0: Dear Santa, hello, haha, North. This year, Santa, I ask for nothing, but... I wish to tell you about my dear friend, The Brain. He is honest and very hardworking, and only wants what's best for the world. But he gets no reward. He is only greeted with defeat. He never gives up, but I know it must be very hard. So please, take anything that you had for me and give it to my best friend in the whole world. The Brain. Love, thank you. P.S. By any chance do you have in that big old bag of yours, the world. You're on! Hey, look at that. Ladies and gentlemen of the world you will do as i say for i i command you i command you to have a merry christmas everyone have a merry merry christmas joy to the world yes <laughs>
2: And it's also part of, you know, my thing with Pinky and the Brain that it's really kind of a love story and they're really kind of a couple, you know, Mm -hmm. in a way of you know, friend friends and um and there's a couple of things that happen sometimes with pinky and the brain that I didn't like so much. I don't like it when brain is sort of really, really malicious and physically violent with pinky. I just never, that never felt right to me. Um, you know, it happens now and then. And, uh, but I didn't, I didn't do that. And the other thing is that, um, uh, you know, brain is brain, it's basically, it's always brain's fault that the plans don't work. And it's not Pinky's fault, you know, Mm. and, um, um, that they were, they were just partners in that and that the brain believes he should take over the world because it's best, the best thing for the world, not because he's an evil guy and like, screw everybody. It's like, you don't understand you people would be better off if I ran the world. It's that simple, you know, the whole topic too, of it, cause a lot of people sort of call this out that Pinky is sort of not the person who messes up the plans He's the um, genius. Yeah, right. Which one? <laughs> one's a genius. The other's the same. Which one? Um, my initials are hidden in that opening, by the way. Um, oh yes. Um, is uh, there was one one that one cartoon that I wrote that I just loved, which is called "That Smart," and it's where Brain is trying to figure out what's wrong with his plans, and um, he he realizes that it's because. Think he's too dumb, you know? It's like, that's why these plans are failing. And so he builds this very complicated gizmo and he makes Pinky really smart. And Pinky starts analyzing all his plans and realizing, he says like, oh, you know, and using all these scientific terms, he goes like, oh, the molecules won't have enough uh, expansion time to be able to compress in that space. And knocking down the brain, brain's plans over and over. And then the brain realizes it's like, But he yells at Pinky, gets totally mad at him and sends Pinky off in in a huff. And then, and he realizes it's like they need balance in their partnership. And Pinky is now smarter than him. So he needs to be the dumb one. Right. And then, and then he goes and he reverses the machine. Right. But Pinky does the same thing because (laughs) his feelings are so hurt by being, he doesn't like being smart. And so they both end up stupid too stupid to operate the yes. machine and it's the end of it and that's the one that ends with like what are we going to do tomorrow night brain and brain says like i have no idea, no idea. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. but it was really it was about addressing that whole idea about like who's the smart who's the smart one why do the plans fail and you know i don't know it's sort of to me that's like ironic life situation that you would just run into uh you know anywhere
1: well i'm, I'm glad you pointed out just as a side note that that uh the brain believes himself to be a like a benevolent ruler that he he believes he would make the world a better place and i think somewhere along the, the lines with the with the reboot now they're they're he's literally calling himself a supervillain, like he he and he's he's fantasizing about like zapping people with electricity and and chasing them around with exploding things and and i yeah. was thinking to myself that doesn't feel right he's not like a villainous person or mouse uh he's he uh he he just really believes he's the smartest man or mouse in the world and the world would be a better place if only he were in charge
2: yeah Yeah. i mean there's it's just kind of a that's kind of a you know hidden sort of sweetness to the to the those to that character grouping, and I know that I I think I had heard that too that it was sort of like somebody saying like I don't know maybe just comedy in general is more mean spirited now than it used to be but um, that you know some of those some of those episodes were kind of coming in um, that way. The other thing too that I sort of always shied away from, which and and is I didn't like to do the pop culture references as much in Pinky and the Brain. Uh, like we did in Animaniacs, which was like free for all, you know, we're just mentioning. So there's sometimes it was somebody, you know, Pinky, like in the Christmas special, Pinky mentions like Regis Philbin and, and stuff like that. But I kind of shied away from doing that. Although after I was gone, there was tons of it, yeah. um, uh, <laughs> you know, in terms of, uh, the pop culture. So I liked referencing real life, but not necessarily, um, you know, making tons of jokes about, you know, whatever is current at that time, you know, Britney Spears or whoever it yeah, was. Interesting.
3: So as a writer, how often do you get those magical light bulb moments that you you just mentioned?
2: Um, you know, not super often, but that experience of forcing myself to stay with it and forcing myself to go good to to stay in it because I I got to the point working on that episode where I was like, I hope they cancel this. I hope they call <laughs> me up and they say, like, Peter, never mind. We're not doing the Christmas special. You're off the hook. And I go like, Oh, thank you, thank you, thank you. Right. But that wasn't the case and I had to stick with it in the tough, really, really tough part of just creating something out of nothing. And it's the hardest part about writing. And and I got the result, you know, so that for me was like, just a really good lesson. And I'm still doing it. You know, right now I'm writing this um, dogman movie at DreamWorks. And, you know, I have to do the same thing. Sometimes it's like, you just got to stick with it. So I don't know whose expression this is, but and I'm paraphrasing, but it's inspiration will find you, but it has to find you working. And so I really t- believe in the discovery process and that it's like you don't need to know the answers, but you don't—you kind of want to know what direction you're going. It's like I want to point in the right direction, start going down that road and see what's on the road, you know, doing that. It doesn't happen that sort of light bulb inspiration doesn't happen as much as you w- would want it to, you know. but But the other thing is when you have a lot of experience, how bad you are improves. It's sort of like it's still hard but the results are better, kind of. Um it's <laughs> really what happens. You know. But it's funny I was really thinking about that like that pingy the brain moment today because I'm working on this script and it's like I thought to myself it's like I need one of those moments. I need that it's like it's surprising but totally logical and really heartfelt, you know, that that kind of thing.
4: I I see a a question from Kelsey and it just is, where did the idea for snowball come from? Okay. Don't hear about snowball enough. I think I
2: know I love snowball. And snowball <laughs> was voiced by Roddy McDowell. Um, and he was great. Um, you know, most people today aren't going not know who Roddy McDowell is, but famously one of the, one of the apes and planet of the apes. Yes. And, uh, but he had a huge, huge career and, um, he was really, he was really great to work with. um, I think it was just about we needed – I mean I love that episode for, for several reasons and th- I love the idea that Snowball comes in. He, he's like the evil brain. He is the guy who does want to just take over right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. and not for the benefit of anybody else except for himself so he's right. like the really evil, more evil version of the brain and I love the idea that Pinky and the Brain got split up in that episode that he seduced Pinky into working for him and the scene where Brain is now like a, a dude pushing a shopping cart made out of a little plastic strawberry thing with you know a little strawberry <laughs> crate with little buttons on it and he's got the beard and then there's a shot from like, like let's do that shot from Shawshank Redemption with the rain falling down where he, he gets he needs to save the world and he rips his beard off and screams because it's so incredibly painful. <laughs> but um yeah, um Snowball did not have any special origin except that we needed we needed a villain for the for the episode, you know, it so we we needed somebody from the lab so he became the evil uh hamster. <laughs> who's in that?
1: La- uh, last question here is from Drew and he says he always wondered where did the idea from TV or not TV come from? This is where Brain becomes a stand-up comedian and uh, gains a WB sitcom while trying to advance his plan.
2: I mean, the idea for that is just real life cuz that's what was happening, you know. It's like <laughs> you were you were a dude doing stand-up and they're de- going to develop a sitcom about you, right? Isn't that the one where he has the smile? He has like a hypnotic smile over the <laughs> it's the and the the catchphrase repugnant yeah (laughs) i think that's that episode right because that's repugnant and he gets his he gets his catchphrase but that's really from i mean literally just looking outside looking out the window looking on tv and going and noticing these kind of trends you Mm -hmm. know it's kind of where it is so it's having to sort of eyes wide open um you know for these sort of real life events the
1: wb lineup at that time if you can watch them online there's a lot of Comedians that had one season of a show.
2: <laughs> yeah, it was like Cleghorn, <laughs> Cleghorn, and Alan Cleghorn was on Saturday Night Live, and uh, uh, Wayans was on the and, Wayans runs, Yeah, you know, um, all that, all that kind of stuff. Yeah.
1: <laughs> well, Peter, uh, thank you so much. This has been such a treat having you on, um, just talking about your experiences with the show, with Animaniacs, Pinky Brain, Tiny Tunes. It's uh, you know, every time we uh, were able to to have one of the writers on here to get some of these behind the scenes and, and really the inspiration for these uh, stories we all love. Uh, it's much appreciated. So we just like to thank you again on behalf of our listeners and all the you know fans of the show. Thank you so much for coming on and talking to us right now.
2: Oh, pleasure. Anytime.
1: Uh, well, I think uh, we better get to some contact information right now. So Nathan, uh, where could
4: people find you online? uh joey i'm on twitter Django ft that's me all right and kelly what about you
3: i'm also on twitter yoda princess y-o-d-a-p-r-n-c-s-s or email me kelly at bigshinyrobot.com
1: all right and peter i believe you're on instagram is that correct
2: i'm on instagram but it's basically like my art photo displays so uh it's still not cool
1: up. photos though i mean <laughs> yeah. it's
2: not like just it's peter just peter hastings on Instagram, and that's pretty much my social uh, presence right now. Just sort of, I never hit Twitter, and I begged off of Facebook. So um,
1: Instagram's the most chill of all the places to go to. I agree with that yeah. that that uh, decision.
2: <laughs> well, I do I do tons of work as a photographer, and that's so that's basically who I follow and what I look at on, on Instagram. Well, as long fantastic. as I don't get sucked into watching reels of bridge collapses in China. And, <laughs> how dudes make bricks in, in <laughs> Uganda <laughs> yes.
1: well uh, we uh, the Cast of course is on a bunch of different socials we're on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and all that jazz and of course you can uh, find all of our shows at com or any podcast player you like and, uh, hey, we're a proud member of the RetroZap Podcast Network, so you can go to our Discord, which is discord.animaniacast.com. You can talk to us and all the RetroZap people over there. And uh, let's see, what else? Oh, oh yeah, our Patreon, patreon.com slash animaniacast, where you can get uh, not only bonus audio of our show, but also audio commentaries as well for episodes of the show. So, on behalf of Kelly nathan and Peter, this is Joey saying, good night, everybody.
4: Good night, everybody.
3: Good night,
0: everybody. Ah, good night, everybody. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs>
3: Hurry, your majesty. These are desperate times. You must meet the cabinet. Hello, I'm Yakko. Nice to meet you. Oh, the pleasure's all mine. Sire? Wait till we're alone.